Hello children and welcome to Bedtime Story. Today is Monday and Mondays are Dinosaur Days. So here is another story from the wonderful dinosaurs of Dino Dell. Written and narrated by Alice Goulding. Do enjoy and sleep well. Alan the Allosaurus was feeling down. Tyrone the Tyrannosaurus was better than him at everything. He was bigger, faster and always won whenever they played a game together. Alan didn't know what to do. Tyrone was his best friend, but Alan was fed up with losing every game. I don't want to play with you today, Alan said to Tyrone when they arrived at school that morning. We don't have to play if you don't want to, said Tyrone, but Alan could see he was looking a bit sad. Well, Alan didn't care. Today, he was going to play with someone he could beat. He was bigger and faster than Trevor the Trilobite, but then so was everyone. Alan didn't think it would make him happy to beat Trevor. It would be too easy. What about Tracy the Triceratops? She was only interested in triangles. Alan liked to play games, but not ones that involved triangles. Dom the Demetriodon enjoyed smiling, but Alan was too sad to smile. Olivia the Oviraptor would want him to hunt for eggs. She was always looking for new eggs to hatch. He was faster than Larry the Lamasaurus over a short distance, but Larry was slow and would just keep on running and Alan couldn't do that. All through class that morning, Alan could not do any work because he was trying to decide who to play with at lunchtime. Annie the Archaeopteryx noticed he was not listening. If you can't do your work in class, Alan, then you will have to stay and do your work in the lunch hour. Alan would not be going out to play at lunchtime after all. He was even sadder now. When all the other dinosaurs went off to play, Alan stayed and carried on with his multiplication questions. Tyrone went to console him and said, If I help, we can get them done twice as fast and then you can still go out to play. No thank you, said Alan, and Tyrone left looking very unhappy. Have you and Tyrone fallen out? Annie asked. No, he makes me feel bad because he's better than me at everything. Alan, you're a very good student. You work hard and you always do your best and that's what counts. You are not Tyrone. You are unique and the only dinosaur you should be trying to beat is yourself. That way you will always do your best. Now off you go and play. Smiling, Alan realised even if Tyrone did always win, they still enjoyed their game. Edited by Sue Rodwell-Smith, Children's Bedtime Story was brought to you by Wavelength Productions and recorded in Huntington, Cambridgeshire. Hello children and welcome to Bedtime Story. Today is Tuesday and on Tuesdays we always meet Carlos and his friends. So here is another meow story written by Graham Emmett and narrated by Uncle Roger. Do enjoy and sleep well. History Cats by Graham Emmett Carlos wondered how Timmy was getting on in number 10 Downing Street, which started a train of thought. Did he have any famous ancestors back in history? He knew the story of Dick Whittington's cat removing mice and rats from London. Maybe he was one of Larry's ancestors. The amount of mice he caught. Was there anyone else in history who had cats? 
The next time Mr Matuba was on the laptop, he would have a look. A few days later, Carlos got his chance. Mr Matuba had left it turned on and gone off to do something else. Carlos started searching, finding a little known fact that Oliver Cromwell had cats as companions when he lived in a place called Ely. Wherever that was, a town in the Fens near Cambridge, he'd never heard of that one. That was nearly 400 years ago. Carlos remembered a story that was passed down over the generations about a family member involved in historic events around at that time. Further digging turned up another coincidence. He needed to see Teddy. Mr Matuba came back into the kitchen and saw Carlos sitting in front of the screen. What have you been looking for today, Carlos? Oh, let's see. Where did you find that? Someone must have made it up. I've never read that before. Then he turned it off. Carlos had his breakfast, then went to see Teddy and Larry. Teddy was most intrigued. He'd heard a similar story in his family's past and started searching. Sure enough, he found the same. His had been in Cromwell's army keeping mice out of the food stores. You know we wondered if Larry might have had any relatives back then. I think I've found one. Thing is, he was a royalist cat in King Charles I's court in the Palace of Westminster. Court Mouser, no less. Teddy scrolled down a bit further. Now this is where it gets a bit interesting. He became a turncoat. You know, swapped sides at the Battle of Turnham Green on the outskirts of London in 1642. It says here two parliamentary cats were sent to find royalist musketeers. They found them hiding in the hedges, showing the parliamentarians where they were with vertical tails. How come Larry's relatives swapped sides? asked Carlos. Oh, it was a draw. Neither side could win. By nightfall, the royalists had retreated under the cover of darkness, leaving Larry's relative behind. Our relatives found him wandering the battlefield the following morning, lost and confused. They took pity on him and took him back to camp. Does it say what happened after that, Teddy? Well, yes. The commander saw a royalist collar on him. At this point, he was in two minds whether to punish him or not, but decided he could use him instead. How? The Royalist Army wouldn't know he was a turncoat and made a fuss of him, thinking he'd made his own way back to their hiding place in town. When the parliamentarians marched up, he used his tail to point out where they were. Do you think we should tell Larry about his ancestor, Teddy? Oh, I don't know, Carlos. He's not interested in history. Mind you, he did find that bracelet and the other things on that dig. Oh, OK, I'll get him to come and have a look. While Teddy went to find Larry, Mrs Phipps came in and looked. She was surprised to see what they'd found. 
She didn't believe the story. The local museum would tell her if it was true or not. They said, yes, there were records of Cromwell having cats and some with special talents. Could they all come down to the museum to have their pictures taken to go with the exhibition? Larry said he'd known about it all along. And that's why he was such a good mouser. It was in the blood. Edited by Sue Rodwell-Smith, Story at Bedtime was brought to you by Wavelength Productions and recorded in Huntingdon, Cambridgeshire. Hello and welcome to Children's Bedtime Story. It's Wednesday where we hear all about the orange dog named Jaffa. Written by Jackie Richmond and narrated by me, Sue Rodwell-Smith. Let's see what Jaffa is up to this evening, shall we? Enjoy and sleep well. Much is that doggy in the window <laughs> The one with the waggly tail Jaffa and Leo go to the beach and park. Leo had never really been to the beach. As you know, I love the beach. So one day, we all packed up and went to Bournemouth Beach for the day. It was sheer heaven for me to see the vast amount of sand to do my belly rubs. The sea was just as glorious too. When we got to the edge of the beach, there were some steps, but Leo can't get down them. I say to Leo, come on Leo, follow little Jaffa and I will show you how to do it. Leo was so frightened and said he couldn't do it. After a while, my big buddy did, and then he really knew what the beach was like. He ran forever. Well, I had to run top speed to catch him, but still this never happened. It was magnificent to run with Leo. After the first attempt of the steps, nothing was ever a problem again for Leo. He seemed to gain more confidence. With a little coaxing from little me, he tried everything that came his way, even going under a stile on one of our walks as he couldn't get over it. Leo would come to school with me, so it wasn't as bad then. I introduced him to all my friends. What fabulous comments he had and I felt just as big as him as he was my very best friend. On one occasion, we had one of those special nights and Leo won and got the top prize for best in show. We were all so proud of him and he was happy too. As autumn starts, mum and dad decide to video me and Leo. Bit difficult as Leo is humongous compared to me, but we tried to attempt it. Me and Leo are running around and mum is holding the video when all of a sudden she decides to call us both. I start to run to mum who is still videoing and then Leo decides he's going to run to mum too. Big mistake on mum's behalf for calling us as Leo couldn't stop and knocked mum straight over into the mud. I try to look into Leo's eyes. He is smiling and inside I'm laughing too but mum is still on the floor. I speak to Leo and we decide the best thing to do would be to go and lick Mum. Of course we do, all over her face, which is then also covered in mud. All you can hear on the video when we play it is Mum saying, Oh no! Whoops, we never played that game with Mum again, although we still knocked her over on many occasions. One day, Dad takes me and Leo up to Nan and Grandad's in Cambridge. I have a sneaky suspicion that we were going to be left again. Me and Leo didn't mind this, as we were treated like royalty and got away with everything. It was always good fun at Nan and Grandad's. 
Strange thing, though, Mum never came with us, but I never worried anymore, as I knew she would always come back to get me. Grandad just loved having us to stay. Leo brought back memories of his life in Ireland as a child with the Irish wolfhounds. He would say that he never thought he would ever live with one again in his lifetime. But he did, and of course, he had me too. Well, what a surprise. In October 2005, we all, Mum, Dad, me and Leo, moved to Cambridge, so no more long journeys in the car to see Nan and Grandad. Dad picked us up from Nan and Grandad's, but this time the journey home was much shorter. We had a brand new house on the edge of the country park where me and Leo would go with Nan and Grandad when we would visit. It was sheer bliss for us, we would go swimming in the lakes and now with Barney too. I feel I'm getting a little tired and may need to have a dog nap. I hope you've enjoyed my story. Until the next time, good night children. Much is that dog in the window? Edited by Sue Rodwell-Smith, Children's Bedtime Story was brought to you by Wavelength Productions and recorded in Huntington, Cambridgeshire. Hello children and welcome to A Story at Bedtime. This evening's story is all about Dorothea. It was written by John Mountford and is narrated by Julie Stark and me, Sue Rodwell-Smith. Dorothea has magic powers when she wears a particular pair of jeans. What do you think she's up to this evening? Let's see, shall we? Enjoy! Dorothea and the rubbish truck Dorothea is just the same as every other little girl Well, almost You see, she's just the same as you or your sister Until she changes into her... Wait, here she is now She can tell you herself Hello everyone, I'm Dorothea Dorothea, tell the children about your genes Do you think they'll really want to know? Oh yes, I'm sure they will Well, it's like this. When I'm on my way to school, nothing fun happens at all. The teacher talks non-stop all day, and then it's time to leave. Hooray! But when I get back home again, I change into my jeans, and then... Jeans, jeans, oh my lovely jeans. Now I can chatter with machines. Can you really, Dorothea? Don't you believe me? I'm wearing my jeans now, so come for a walk with me and see. Today Dorothea is standing outside her house. All the bins are lined up in the street, waiting to be emptied, because today is dustbin day, the day when the rubbish truck comes and... Oh, it's so noisy! I'm having to shout. What's happening, Dorothea? The rubbish truck's here. It's coming to empty our dustbin and take away all the things we've thrown away, such as sweet wrappers, dirty tissues... And Dad's smelly old socks. Hello, Dorothea. Hello, rubbish truck. You're really very noisy. I know. I've got a big engine so I can lift up the heavy bins and mash up all the rubbish. My big engine is noisy. The rubbish truck can talk to Dorothea. And because she's wearing her jeans, Dorothea can understand what it says. Our bin isn't heavy, rubbish truck. It's only got sweet wrappers, dirty tissues and Dad's smelly old socks in it. Oh yes, Dorothea, your bin is light. But some people put heavy things in their bin, like bricks and rubble and even old lawnmowers. No! 
Oh, that can't be. Not my friends, the lawnmowers. Yes, Dorothea. Even lawnmowers get old and wear out. And then I grab them, throw them in my hopper and scrunch them all up using my big noisy engine. That's murder. We prefer to call it recycling. Recycling? Isn't that what you do with a bicycle? Oh, no, Dorothea. Recycling is very important. Recycling is when you turn an old lawnmower into a seat or a desk or a plant pot. Or a bicycle? Well, that would be more tricky. You need metal lawnmowers to make a bicycle. Most lawnmowers now are made of plastic. Sarcastic? I'm not sarcastic. I said plastic. I'm not plastic either. Dorothea is teasing the rubbish truck. Dorothea is being very sarcastic. I said I'm not plastic. Can you hear me? Sorry, Dorothea. Can't talk now. I'm mashing and scrunching the rubbish and it's rude to talk with your mouth full. I haven't got my mouth full. No, but I have. You just spoke. That's rude. You made me. I didn't make you. The rubbish truck factory made you. Made me what? Made you into a rubbish truck, of course. If you'd been born in the tractor factory, then you would have been a tractor. Or a combine harvester. A combine harvester? They're just big overgrown lawnmowers, they are. I bet you couldn't mash a combine harvester. I never tried. You couldn't even get it in your hopper. Well, if it won't fit in my hopper, then of course I can't mash it. I only mash potatoes. Do you? Isn't that cruel too? Oh no. I can't talk to potatoes. And they taste really nice. Just think, rubbish truck. If we filled your hopper with potatoes, we could have the biggest pile of mashed potato in the world. Oh, no, thank you. I'll stick to mashing lawnmowers if you don't mind. Oh, see, there goes another one. I must have five a day, you know, to keep me healthy. Silly rubbish truck. That's the end of this story. We'll come back and see what Dorothy is doing another day for another adventure. Edited by Sue Rodwell-Smith, Children's Bedtime Story was brought to you by Wavelength Productions and recorded in Huntington, Cambridgeshire. Hello and welcome to Friday's Bedtime Story. Here is another story about the chimps Milo and his sister Macy and all the inhabitants of Magnolia Avenue. Written by Becca Cook and narrated by me, Sue Rodwell-Smith. Do enjoy! The Haunted House Halloween was a time where families from Magnolia Avenue came together wearing spooky outfits and enjoying the annual jungle funfair. Inside their treehouse, Milo the monkey and his sister Macy were busily finishing their costumes. 
Macy had chosen a pumpkin fairy, putting sparkles onto her wings. Her outfit was complete. Milo drew one large eyeball just above the sharp pointy teeth onto his monster suit. Their father, Jared, burst into their bedroom in his skeleton costume. Wow, that's awesome, Dad. You will definitely frighten the neighbours, chuckled Milo. Flo, their mother, joined them, wearing a witch's pointy hat and carrying a broomstick. Flo had even made a pumpkin-faced bandana for Zorro the dog to wear. It was October the 31st and Halloween had arrived. All the tree houses on Magnolia Avenue were decorated with spider webs, cut out of ghouls hovered in windows and vampire bets flew outside or hung upside down from the window sills. Flo had created healthy treats of vine leaves containing dragon fruit cubes. Flo had also carved faces into the red dragon flute shells and popped glowworms inside. Once the sun set, the faces would glow in the dark, adding to the atmosphere. Climbing down the treehouse ladder, Milo and his family met their neighbours, orangutans, Louie and Kira, and their children, Otis and Lulu. Complementing one another's outfits, Milo particularly liked Otis's vampire suit. At the base of the treehouse sat Diva the hippo, who was finishing her costume. Oh, you all look spookily fabulous. See you at the fun fair, gushed Diva. Milo and Macy led the way down Magnolia Avenue and into the forest. Friendly fireflies and vampire bats flew overhead. Music and shrieks from excited monkeys filled the air as they entered the fun fair. Milo caught sight of his friend spider monkey Flint being spun around on the egret's swing carousel. Milo and Macy wanted to see the haunted house first. The family all walked towards a rickety looking tree house with winding steps leading up to a door. Milo grabbed hold of the banister which suddenly hissed, Milo jumped back in fright and giggled at the snake grinning back at him. This was going to be brilliant, thought Milo. Orion the toucan dressed in a dark cloak and fangs for teeth greeted them at the front door. Beware, weary travellers. This house is not for the easily scared. It is said a ghost walks inside and is only visible during Halloween. Once you enter, there is no turning back. Macy clung on to Flo Fing a little nervous. Milo, knowing this was all make-believe, confidently walked inside. The hallway floorboards creaked. A large painting of a lady in white hung upon the wall. Suddenly, her eyes moved. Jared jumped. Eek! Moving into the first room, spiders hung down from their webs. An old rocking chair began to rock, but nobody was inside. How is that possible? whispered Macy. In the kitchen, rows of potions filled the shelves and a cauldron sat bubbling on a fireplace. A large frog stared at them. Croak! Suddenly, there was a loud cooey! Milo and Macy turned around to see a large white ghoul coming towards them. 
They shrieked and ran for the door, closely followed by Flo and Jared. The ghoul, however, did not stop and ran after them. Poor Orion was nearly locked off his perch as they fled the house. Lofty the giraffe peered down to see what all the commotion was about and smiled. Lofty bent his head down and gently pulled off the ghoul's white sheet. From underneath appeared an out-of-breath diva, the hippo. Milo looked over his shoulder to see the ghoul was indeed diva and stopped running. Relieved, the family hugged diva and laughed out loud. Diva broke into a wide, toothy grin. This was a Halloween to remember, when Milo had been spooked by a white sheet. Edited by Sue Rodwell-Smith, Children's Bedtime Story was brought to you by Wavelength Productions and recorded in Huntington, Cambridgeshire. Hello and welcome to Children's Corner. You are about to hear another children's poem from Jumping Jaws' Julie Stevens. Do enjoy. Bigfoot Mum stepped on the Lego, scattered pieces everywhere. That majestic princess castle was definitely in need of repair. She blamed the careless slippers. Too big for her feet, she said. She tried to miss the jigsaw puzzle, but landed on the castle instead. Too much mess was lying around for Mum to duck and dive. She hadn't meant to break anything, but her luck did not survive. She picked up all the pieces, built that stunning castle once more, but only when she'd finished did she notice something on the floor. A quivering pretty princess, shaking from head to toe wondering what had happened to her castle of long ago. She tried to run and hide in her castle like before, but silly mum had only forgotten to make a swinging door. Now the princess was really stuck with nowhere left to go. She sat and stared right up at mum and quietly squeaked, Hello! Mum froze on the spot, couldn't believe what she saw. I didn't mean to frighten you, but what are you doing on my floor? The princess told her story, how she'd lived in her house for years, in pencil cases and tiny cars, anything really that appears. Mum thought for a moment, then gave some exciting news. She could stay in their house forevermore, she hoped she wouldn't refuse. The family always wanted a pet, Someone to look after and feed. A pretty tiny real princess was definitely fun guaranteed. And so it was, the princess stayed, living and sharing the fun. Visitors flocked to see the girl, sharing stories to everyone. The children forgave mum and her slippers, enjoyed the fun and laughter. And mum decided in all her years, this was the best Happy Ever After. Edited by Sue Rodwell-Smith, Children's Corner was brought to you by Wavelength Productions and recorded in Huntingdon, Cambridgeshire.